get comfy. We have two readings this morning. Uh, the first reading is on page 529. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 9. The year of the Lord's favour. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim, proclaim, sorry, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, and they will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance, and so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. And now if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 1 to 16, the Beatitudes. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds 
and praise your Father in heaven. Who do you consider to be fortunate? Uh, Some of the ladies in our church have been reading a book called Compared to Her. And um, sometime during the week I was sitting there daydreaming thinking, I wonder what the, the man edition would say compared to him. You know, who, who do men consider to be the fortunate ones that we might compare ourselves to? And uh, it made me think of a story that a friend of mine told uh, when he'd gone swimming with this bunch of, of guys. And one of them was an ex-army kind of guy and had some serious kind of muscles. And they were going for a swim. So as he sort of took his shirt off, there was a kind of a hush that fell on, on, on the landscape. Birds stopped chirping. The conversation stopped. And apparently the women in the group sort of looked over, shrugged and, and then kept talking. But the guys, they gathered round to sort of touch and pinch and giggle. And he said, no joke, 15 minutes later, they were still there marvelling at the six-pack that this guy had. Us blokes, we think guys that are built like that are fortunate. Who else? Who else do we consider to be the fortunate ones? Not just the guys now, but all of us, you know, guys and girls. Don't you reckon the funny person is fortunate? The kind of life of the party, the one who's constantly making everyone laugh, you know, who's self-confident. Or don't you reckon the artistic person is fortunate? The creative person who can paint and sing, play instruments and write, all those kind of things. Or don't we consider the the entrepreneurial person to be fortunate? You know, the person who just knows what to do in life, money's never a problem, everything they touch just turns to gold, people respect and admire them. Or the health fanatic, don't we sometimes consider them to be fortunate? You know, on the weekend, they ride down to Cape Jervis, then go for their morning swim over to Kangaroo Island and, (laughs) and have the soy milk latte before swimming back. They're fit, they're skinny, and they're constantly on an endorphin high. Or the family person, don't we consider them to be fortunate? You know, the kind of person whose whose kids just love them and write them little notes of appreciation. They bake pies out of organic homegrown produce. And the kids just love to eat everything they make. And they do family devotion times and it's the highlight of everyone's days. No? (laughs) No? Well, in this bit of the Bible, we actually get to see who Jesus thinks are the fortunate, who he thinks are the truly fortunate people. Nine times in this passage, he says, blessed are. The word is is literally well off or fortunate. Blessed makes it sound sort of strange and and, and really sort of ethereal, but no, it's fortunate, well off are these people. And listen to who Jesus says, are the fortunate ones. Here's a list of them. The fortunate are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. This is a strange list, isn't it? I mean, it sounds a little bit ironic or a kind of art house or something like that. I read a list like that and I feel like I just don't quite get it. It's almost like it's a complete inversion of the kind of list that we'd come up with. You know, so our our list could easily be the opposite of that. Who do we consider to be the fortunate? Well, not the poor in spirit, the rich, 
not the poor, not those who mourn. We would consider the happy, not the meek, but the strong. Those who don't hunger or thirst for anything, they've got everything they need. And not the merciful, we'd we'd consider those who don't need to show mercy because they're sheltered from all that kind of stuff. Not the pure in heart, the the wild at heart is who we would consider fortunate. The powerful and certainly not the persecuted, the carefree. See, the way Jesus speaks here, it doesn't raise so many questions. These are just some that come to my mind. Why does Jesus consider these people to be fortunate? What does it mean to be poor in spirit and mourning and all the rest? And who exactly are these fortunate people anyway? Are these commands that Jesus is giving? Or are these like entrance requirements? Do these things. You've got to get a tick in each of these boxes to be a part of God's kingdom. And if that's the case, do I need one of these things or do I need all of these things? Do you find what Jesus is saying here hard to understand? I certainly do. Let's have a closer look and see if some of these things become clearer. Look at verse 1 to start with. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. There are two groups mentioned here, aren't there? There are the crowds and there's the disciples. And do you notice Jesus moves away from the crowds to teach his disciples? But look what happens by the time we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. This is a sermon for disciples explaining what it looks like to be a disciple. But the thing about discipleship is that it's not a private, personal thing. It's a public thing. Now, in our our day and age, we're constantly told that faith is a personal, private thing that we should keep to ourselves. But as we'll see today, Jesus says, for someone who follows him, that's just not an option. Jesus speaks to his disciples with the crowd listening in. And he says in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now like we've said, being poor in spirit, it sounds like a bad thing. But Jesus says they're fortunate because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. What God's doing in history belongs to people like this, whoever they are. And actually, it's not just the poor in spirit who it belongs to. Jump down to verse 10, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus repeats this idea exactly. And by doing that, he's showing that everything in between these two verses is actually talking about the same thing. These two verses, they're like bookends. And they show that verses 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way to verse 10, they're all talking about the same thing. They're talking about who belongs to God's kingdom. So this isn't a list of of lots of different people, some poor in spirit, some who are meek, some mourning. You know, it's not like some are not meek but are mourning. It's not a list of many different types of people, but it's 
a list of the one type of person, the fortunate person. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the kind of person who is poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking and persecuted. This kind of person can be considered fortunate because they already have the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. And because they already have the kingdom, they are fortunate because of what they will have in the future. See, look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, it changes, for they will be comforted. And in fact, all the way through to till you get to the next bookend, it's like this. So 4 to 9, we read that they will have, we read all the different things they'll have. They will be comforted, they will inherit the earth, they will be filled, they will be shown mercy, they will see God, they will be called sons of God. You can see why Jesus considers these people to be fortunate. The funny person, the artistic person, the kind of people we were laughing at at the beginning, the healthy person. They might, we might consider them fortunate because of what they have right now. Whereas Jesus says the people who belong to the kingdom now are fortunate because of what they will have. So what are these things, these beatitudes as they get called? We still haven't answered that, have we? Are they entrance requirements? Tick all these and you're in? Or are they commands, now that you're in, do all these things? To understand what they are, we actually have to look back to last week and to what Jesus said in 4.17. Remember what Jesus said last week, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because what we actually have in the Sermon on the Mount is an expansion of that message. We have a description of those who are repentant. The first four are the attitudes of the repentant. And the second four are the, ref- the fruit of that repentance. The repentant are poor in spirit, not proud and, and full of our own self-confidence. The repentant mourn. Mourn over our, our godless world out there and our godless heart in here. The repentant are meek, means gentle, lowly. They're not arrogant, grasping, presumptuous. The repentant hunger and thirst for righteousness, wanting things to be different, acutely aware of our own inadequacies and those of the world around us. And the fruit of repentance means that the repentant are merciful. When we know our own needs and we know how much we need God, we don't look down on others. We're understanding. The repentant are pure in heart, longing for God's way, not man's way. The repentant are peacemakers, not treading on heads to get our way. And the repentant are persecuted and are willing to be persecuted for the way that's right. See, the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't belong to those who have a high, lofty, superior attitude to God. It doesn't belong to the self-righteous, the religious, the proud or the impressive. It belongs to the repentant. 
So if you're someone who's repented, then what Jesus is saying to you in this, these Beatitudes is, how fortunate are you? You're extremely fortunate because you've repented. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you and the, the best is yet to come. So when we read these Beatitudes, Jesus is actually encouraging us. This is an encouragement for those who've turned to follow him. And if we haven't repented yet, then at the same time, Jesus is saying to us, repent, change your attitude to God and your fortunes will be changed. You'll become one of the fortunate ones with the best yet to come. So what Jesus is saying to the crowds listening in and maybe to us today, if, if we're not a follower of him, is not an encouragement, but, but a challenge, a challenge to become a follower of him to become one of the fortunate. What he's not saying is do this, tick this list of boxes and you'll earn the kingdom. He's not describing a list of accomplishments here. He's describing an attitude, an attitude that actually recognises our failure to accomplish. A guy called John MacArthur puts it like this. He says, Humility is not a necessary human work to make us worthy, but a necessary divine work to make us see that we are unworthy. Right up front in his sermon, Jesus gives us a description of, of what it means to be his follower. Is this a description of you? On your own, are you spiritually in poverty, you know, devastated at the state of, of the world and, and your own heart? And aware that, that you're not strong enough to change your own fate. But hungry and thirsty to see a world where righteousness flourishes in you and around you. And then having grasped your own destitution, are you someone who's not looking down on others? See, Jesus here is describing a relationship where a person cries out, God, help me please. And God says, yes. Being a disciple is about having a right attitude to God, knowing him as father and depending on him. In a minute, we'll see that Jesus actually urges us to be who we are, to live and to shine as sons and daughters, sons and daughters of our father, sons and daughters of God's kingdom. But in the meantime... In verse 11, there's a kind of ninth beatitude. Did you notice this one? It starts the same, but then it goes a bit different because it's longer than the others. It goes from third person to second person. Suddenly, Jesus says, not fortunate is this one over, over there, but fortunate, fortunate are you. And it also contains a command. It's the only one like that. So have a look at it with me in verse 11. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Here's the command. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. What's going on with this beatitude? Don't you reckon it's, it's the most striking and the most difficult to stomach? Jesus says the fortunate are those who are insulted and persecuted because of him. 
Why are they fortunate? Well, we read it there, don't we? Because their reward in heaven is great. And so he says their response to persecution should be joy and gladness. Now, I don't think this is like every time we get persecuted for being a Christian, that there's a deposit made for us up in a heavenly bank somewhere, you know, so that we should want to go to Hindley Street at 2am in the morning, wearing Christian signs, telling people they should be at home reading their Bibles so that we can get bashed up and doused in Bundy rum and set alight or something like that. So then we can rejoice because, whoa, that would have earned us a huge deposit up in our heavenly bank. Then one day we'll get to heaven and we'll be riding jet skis while the others are paddling little blow-up canoes who didn't get persecuted. This might sound weird, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. It's more like we rejoice because the persecution is evidence. It's, It's proof that the kingdom of heaven belongs to us. It's a, it's a kind of proof that we really are one of the fortunate. Because the kingdom of heaven itself is our reward. It's all our reward, all of us, all those who follow Jesus. And when we're persecuted because of Jesus, it really clarifies things for us. It clarifies who we belong to and it clarifies where our fortunes really lie. Jesus goes on to explain a bit more why persecution can be considered a good thing and he talks about precedence. Oh, back here actually, in verse 12. He says, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Precedence. To be persecuted isn't something new or strange, It just means that we join a long line of the Old Testament prophets. But stop and think about that. We're compared to the Old Testament prophets. Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Those great mouthpieces of God who swam against the flow and called Israel back to God. To be persecuted because of Jesus is to be like the prophets who were persecuted because of God. Persecution's not surprising. It means we belong to God. It means, like the prophets, we're God's mouthpieces to the world. To be a follower of Jesus is is to call other people to come follow Jesus and gladly face the consequences of that. Now, I, I myself have not faced that much persecution, faced some. Uh, it hasn't been that, that extreme in this country. Uh, it isn't always that extreme. Notice Jesus here says, they insult you. So he counts that persecution even when you're insulted. One time that it did happen is, um, not here in Adelaide, but on a uni campus, the uni radio station where the presenters were saying terrible things against our church, which met on campus, and against me as one of the, the ministers. Now, it didn't worry me too much. It was a uni um, radio station. No one listens to those things anyway. But then something happened which was a, that hurt a lot more, actually. A mapper, so a, a ministry apprentice uh, who was there. Somebody decided to write a blog about him, which was awful. Here's part of it. They got on Facebook and sort of raided his information. You know, got some shots of him. One where he's raising money for a good cause... And they said terrible things, insults. Um, 
claiming awful things about him and also just ridiculing his appearance. Why? Because he was telling people about Jesus on campus. And so the whole conclusion of the article was, we should kick him off campus for what he's doing. They were trying to humiliate him. Now, persecution is a horrible thing. But you know where Anthony is today? He's at Ridley Bible College. It didn't stop him. Persecution just confirms that we belong to another kingdom with the best yet to come. We're the fortunate ones. And in that, we rejoice. If you're persecuted for Jesus, you are the fortunate. Do you believe Jesus on that? Do you really believe him on that? In this next section, Jesus urges his followers to be who they are. In Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The message for us here is that if we lose what defines us, we've lost everything. If we cease to be disciples, then we just fade away back into the crowd, is what Jesus is saying. In other words, it's actually Jesus that makes us distinctive. It's following him that makes us a sign to the world. But why salt? You know, what does it mean for us to be salt? Is it that Jesus' disciples are the flavour of the world? You know, like salt on a potato chip? Or is it that we're like salt on beef jerky, you know, the preservatives of the world? One makes it sound like we're the life of the party, you know, the spice, the flavour. And one makes it sound like we're party poopers. Let's keep this preserved, people. Let's keep it moral, you know. It's quite different kind of image. So which one is it? Is it both? Is it neither? Well, often these tricky things that you come across in the Bible have an Old Testament context. A couple of times in the Old Testament, we read about God making a covenant of salt. Where in Numbers and in 2 Chronicles, where salt was a kind of sign of the endurance of the relationship between God and his people. So is it that Jesus is saying, you, you disciples who are listening to him, you are the sign of the endurance of God's relationship to the earth. In other words, we show the world that it's possible to know God. We show the world that it's possible to be God's children. But if, if we break our relationship with God, we, we stop being disciples of Jesus, then we no longer have that incredible role. We lose our saltiness. We just melt back into the crowd. Jesus gives another metaphor which kind of confirms this idea in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says here again, be who you are. If we're a disciple of, of Jesus, we can't hide it and, and we sh shouldn't want to. We should want to shine it out. But what exactly is it that we're shining out? Is it our niceness? 
our showiness, our coolness. Sometimes you sort of hear Christians talk like this, don't you? You know, we need to show people that we can have fun, be easygoing, non-judgmental. You know, we need to show people that you can be cool and be a Christian. Just look at me, man. Well, in verse 16, we see what they shine out, though. It's none of those things. What do we shine out? Our good deeds. Not, not that we're making ourselves look good, but so that people can see how good our Father in heaven is and glorify Him. Now, again, it's important to see what this is not saying. It's not saying act salty and you'll become salt. Shine as hard as you can and you'll become light. Jesus is not saying do good deeds and you'll become a child of God. No, no. He's saying we've been made who we are. We've been made salt. We've been made light. We're already that by coming to Jesus and therefore we should be who we are. This is an unanswered question that runs through the whole of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll see over these next few weeks. And that is, how do you become these fortunate ones that we've been looking at today? You don't really get a succinct answer. How do you get the, the blessings of God's kingdom? How have we been made to be salt and light? In the Sermon on the Mount, we, we only get a hint to the answer. And that hint is that we have these things only as we follow Jesus. He says it to those who are the disciples who are following him. And in the rest of the book of Matthew, this hint's actually confirmed. In the rest of the book, every time the word blessed or, or fortunate is used, it's always associated with Jesus, always. Jesus is the one who makes us fortunate. Jesus makes us salt and light. Jesus is the one who gives us the kingdom. He's the one who'll comfort us, who'll give us the earth as an inheritance, who'll satisfy our desire for righteousness. Jesus, we know in the bigger picture, when you read the whole book of Matthew, is the means of mercy. In Jesus, we see God. And Jesus enables our sonship us to become children of God. And because we have Jesus, we're called to follow his example. And this is what the Sermon of the Mount is all about. See, we only shine as we reflect Jesus. Just before the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 4, Jesus himself is described as the light. In fact, so much of, of what we've seen Jesus talk about today is seen in who he is and, and what he does in the rest of the book of Matthew. Like later on in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. The, the word is actually meek. It's a very rare word. It's only mentioned three times in Matthew. But each time, Jesus is the model of meekness. And right across Matthew, we see that Jesus is the model of righteousness. I've got that table there for you in your notes to have a look at later on, where you can see how Jesus fulfills the Sermon on the Mount in who he is right across the book. Jesus shows mercy. Jesus is a peacemaker. Jesus is persecuted. And Jesus' good deeds cause people to glorify God. In other words, Jesus himself 
fulfills the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, what he calls us to, it's found in himself. Someone once uh, said it like this, the commander embodies the command. See, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be like Jesus. We're called to be sons and daughters of God. We share in his sonship. We share in his relationship with God. So as I finish, do you consider yourself to be a fortunate person? Because if we're a follower of Jesus, then that's exactly who he considers us to be. Now we might not be the funny person or the artistic person. We might not be the health fanatic or the family person or the entrepreneurial person but God considers us to be the true fortunate people with the best yet to come let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much for Jesus and we ask that you would open our eyes to see ourselves like you see us In and of ourselves, Lord, poor in spirit and mourning, Lord, not flashy or anything special, but special to you. Truly fortunate because of what you are going to bring us, what our future holds. Lord, help us to see that our fortunes are tied to Jesus as we come to him. And Lord, help us to start to view ourselves the way you view us as incredibly, incredibly well off because of your love and kindness and mercy to us. Lord, help us to be who you have made us to be. Lord, to be salt, the sign of your relationship that goes on with this world through Jesus. Lord, help us to be light, to shine out just how great you are and just how great it is knowing you. And Lord, help us to be willing to be persecuted for your name. And Lord, to realize that that is a blessing because it clarifies that we belong to you and our fortunes are truly tied to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.